Wonderful. And then also, I, I think that Chris and Lupi are here. So uh, would you guys stand up? You haven't, but we haven't seen you in a long time, so just say hi. <laughs> so Chris, you have a microphone. You can have the first question. Oh, the first Oh, this was a setup. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tom. <laughs> okay, first question for me. Uh, to you guys. Um, hmm. <laughs> well, um, first of all, thankful to the Lord, of course, for each one of you here and your prayers. And thank you so much, Dr. Street, Tom Patton. George Crawford. Hmm. I was just kidding. I you don't have to ask this. your question. <laughs> okay. I, I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm thinking about everything that was mentioned and just There's going into my history bank back here. Um, hmm. As you're thinking. <laughs> yes, thank you. I think, I think the big issue that George is so uh, skillfully bringing up is the fact that there will be resistance to what we did. That's why the movie came out. That's why Essential, that's why his lecture from last time about the Essential Church was so important because what happens after that? We are an enigma to many churches in that we stood open. We stood for uh, what the scriptures teach in terms of do not neglect the assembling together as is the habit of some, as Hebrews tells us. And so the question is, in your life with your family and friends and others who don't go here, or maybe who did go here, uh, what questions are you hearing, and is there any way we could provide help in that regard? Hi. Um, just to wonder, how proactive or reactive should the church be to um, the forces of the state as they form against us. Do we need to be ahead of the curve or do we need to simply react to what they're doing? Oh, I've got this. Oh. He's got All right, the... let, me, let me attempt to... I've got to turn on my own. Okay, good. Um, let me take a stab at that a little bit here. Um, um, there... When, when it comes to being proactive, one of the things that's happening in the church at large, in the larger evangelical church today, is what is often referred to as Christian nationalism. Maybe you've heard of that. And we... <laughs> oh. I'm not, what a charming young man. Is it on? I thought I had it on. Turned off. Uh, wait. All right, is it on now? Yeah, All right, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. It's like a like a baton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things that we have to really guard against is Christian nationalism because it's based upon a, a, a wrong view of eschatology. It's actually a post-millennial view of eschatology. We are where we are the ones that are actually bringing in the kingdom, and I've had a lot of uh, discussion about this in regards to. Uh, Younger students, younger students are very aware of this kind of thing going on. They even advocate that uh, in the millennial kingdom, Texas will still be Texas, and you know Illinois <laughs> will still be Illinois. And no, it's true. That's what they say. 
in, in this, and and we don't, <laughs> and uh, we don't hold to that at all. We're not, we're not committed to being proactive where we are responsible to bring Christ's kingdom in. That's not our responsibility. However, in going about our normal ministry and worship, when the state now interferes with that and basically encourages us to act against our conscience in terms of what the Word of God says, then we have a responsibility to stand up to the, uh, to the state at that point and, um, and, and say we can't do that, even if it meant, you know, even if it meant that we go to jail. And, and we knew uh, that one famous elders meeting that we had, uh, we were all looking at each other once we made the decision, well, we could all go to jail here. So I went home and told my wife that, and I said, you know, I, I could go to jail because of the decision that was made. And she says, well, I want Carl Hargrove to be your cellmate. <laughs> I said, why? He'll protect you. It's <laughs> a true story. It was really funny. <laughs> You would first have to share the cell with me. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> Carl's going to be my right hand. <laughs> That's right. But what I'm trying to say is that there's a real balance because I think out in the broader evangelical world, there are a lot of people who did actually applaud our action, but they applauded it, I believe, out of wrong motivation because their view of this was to actually bring in Christ's kingdom. We're not trying to do that. We don't do that. That's fully up to the Lord. Lord's going to do what he does in terms of we're, that's why we are pre-millennialists. We're not post-millennialists. And, um, and so that, that's such a key thing there. So I wanted to put that in there. Tom? <clears throat> well, I was just going to clarify because sometimes I, I find in my preaching labs when I am teaching young preachers to preach that we say things and sometimes uh, we just assume that everybody knows these theological terms. And so though most of us do, uh, would you elaborate on what premillennialism is and post <laughs> so people know? Because we're all shaking our heads because no one wants to be embarrassed. Hey, I went through five years of the book of Revelation, all right? <laughs> But, but we have new people. Yeah, 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 that's, that's why right. I'm wearing a name tag. That's not for me. I know I'm Tom. All right. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. The, 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 obviously, there's a long answer to that and a short answer. But the short answer yeah. is, in the, in the shortest way, that premillennialism actually believes that there's a future, actual, literal 1,000-year millennial reign that's yet in the future, which will be after a future tribulation. All right. The postmillennialists uh, believe that actually the millennia can begin to start coming now. It depends on our efforts as Christians in order to work, in order to bring that particular kingdom in. So that's that's basically what I'm referring to there. All right. Thank you. We um, we were wrestling with this. I can remember one evening looking at uh, one of my fellow elders, and I said, "Okay, what's the plan when John is arrested, or if he is arrested?" Uh, I didn't hear the kind of a response that I wanted to hear uh, that my wife has counseled and discipled me to look for. <laughs> um, but merely raising the question was something that needed to be done. Proverbs 22, the prudent see the danger and take precaution uh -huh. while the naive proceed and pay the penalty. 
Now, that balances 2 Timothy, where it says God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of discipline and of a sound mind. So, yeah, we do need to, at times, uh, look down the road. Colin Powell, the former uh, diplomat, the former statesman and general, made the comment, he says, leadership involves being able to look around corners. We have felt, we have thought that it may be in the area of LGBTQ trends that we may be getting future attack from a hostile government. Um, In view of what I'm saying in John's book on the war on children, Another possible area that may even be more likely uh, is in the government's commitment to doing things with regards to the training of young children and the policy, the position that we have to biblically take. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking maybe one person's question. Oh, Jerry, I'm sorry. I have a question. Um, wait, wait, wait for the mics coming. Yeah, we can hear you better. She's a singer. She can do it. We can hear you. These ears are 71 years old. All right. Yeah, usually people say, pipe down. (laughs) My question is, we know that the word tells us that we obey the laws of the land, and the world turns around and uses that against us. And I personally have talked to friends who says, oh, no, your church is being rebellious because you're not obeying the laws of the land, and you're just creating chaos when there's already chaos. And so I thought that was a really interesting question. I didn't really have a solid answer except for the fact that I know that our reformers disobeyed the law of the land to be able to get to where we are today with the freedom of worship and the freedom of the word. So I was just wondering what your take on that is. Brothers? All right. Uh, Let me take a stab at that. Um, I understand what they're saying because there's a general... uh, position, obviously, in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, 1 Peter chapter 2, that deals with the issue of the fact that we need to obey the governmental officials. But it's always within the context of within that which is right or good. That's the idea. Um, And um, the way that the events of the essential church and all the things that happened unfolded was at the beginning when the government came in and said, you've got to close down, you've got to you know, stay away from each other and not have worship services, those kind of things. You know, we were really guarded about that. And as, as a church, generally, we closed down to see what was going to happen. Of course, at that time, they wanted it for two weeks, all right? So we were willing to abide by that and follow it. But then as this spread on, went on and on, we realized that there was more going on. And we also realized that if um, they were permitting at that particular time uh, casinos to be open mm-hmm. and uh, with hardly any... Uh, Restrictions on them. There were some, but they were they were not nearly as restrictive as the 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 booklets that they were publishing, giving to us as a church on what we needed to do in order for people to be uh, meeting together, and um, and the fact that they remember there were riots going on in L.A. and people were totally maskless, crawling on each other, and that was applauded. All right, we knew at that particular time. All right, there's there's two two different things going on here. And it's totally inconsistent. This is not right. This is just a way to keep uh, Christians locked down and, um, in a sense, disobeying Hebrews 10.25. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as some are in the habit of doing. And so uh, we weren't 
as a church, we weren't going to tell our, the congregation. We were not going to go out there and say, hey, you've got to come back to church. We're not going to do that, but we're going to reopen up. Those that want to come can come. Those that don't want to come don't have to come. It's up to their particular conscience they wanted to do so. So I think the idea here was we realized the government was giving, um, was primarily politically motivated, not necessarily uh, not for the good. You know, would there be a time if there was some kind of mass thing where we would not meet the Hypothetically, that is a possibility, but, but this would be across the board. This would be across the board for everybody in society, and we realize that's not what was happening. To add to that, because you mentioned Second First uh, Peter two, this is what it says there: Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king or the, as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him. And so far, you would say, well, then we're disobeying, right? Because it seems as if we've gone against that. But then Peter gives the reason for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So in that moment, he is explaining what authority and the human institution, the king and governors, are set there for the Lord's sake, and that is to punish evil and to praise what is good. So that's the, that's the boundary of government. And when that was transgressed, we were no longer under the authority of those who were having to uh, put ourselves under the authority of government. They, this was not for punishing those who were doing evil we wanted to meet as a church. And it wasn't for the, they definitely weren't praising us for doing what was right. So I think on one level, and this was the big night when it was going around the table and uh, every single one of us had to make a decision, what's, what's your decision? What are you going to do? It wasn't just by hands, it had to be verbal. And I think it came down to the government as God, Romans 13 as well, has defined it, is not the government that we see now. It is an unrighteous government. We must then stand up to an unrighteous government. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. And that really kind of flies in the face of what people had thought the scripture taught, which was to do whatever the government says. And you heard arguments about that all the way back to Nazi Germany and Bonhoeffer and um, people, you know, if you had a, a, a Jewish person hiding in your house, you know, would you lie? It, we, we've, seen, we've done this for countless decades of talking about what is the, the boundary of a righteous government versus an unrighteous government, and is there a distinction between the two? And even though we don't go into it, uh, Greg Frazier has a great book and, and speeches on uh, the American Revolution was just that. <laughs> the Boston Tea Party was not uh, a, a righteous act. I'm not saying that we're American Christians before we're Christians, but we have seen rebellion in our country uh, from unrighteous <coughs> acts of government. So, um, but anyway, the question I have for you, George, is could this happen again? Definitely. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes points out. Um, I'll take you back, Acts chapter 5. Peter and the apostles are instructed by the Jewish government to no longer preach or teach in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. When the mandate, the command of the government uh, goes contrary to what the Word of God allows and what it forbids, when it, the government goes contrary to the Word of God by prohibiting what God calls for, 
as in regular worship, there comes a point in time when the believers have to say, we are going to obey the Word of God, we're going to obey Scripture, uh, rather than the command of government. And definitely it can occur uh, again, and it can come sometimes in very subtle ways. Um, Going back to the issue where we were talking about at the beginning, sometimes people were wondering, were we wrong in not meeting at all? Uh, We got blasted on both sides in the course of that experience. Um, Somebody pointed out, uh, and it's well worth reading, man by the name of Richard Baxter. Baxter was one of the great Puritans. He actually uh, is involved in ministry at the time, and some of these issues had to be resolved. And he wrote a book titled The Directory. Two questions in the directory, question 109 and question 110. May we omit church assemblies on the Lord's Day if the magistrate forbid them? And the answer basically said... It is one thing to do so for a short period of time upon some special cause. We're being invaded. There's a fire. Uh, there is a, an incredible unknown pestilence, disease, whatever. For a short period of time, it is not unlawful to comply with that request. He points out, however, that if it becomes apparent that it is being done for an ungodly motive, either to persecute Christ, to wipe out the name of Christ, or even from a worldly perspective, at that point in time, it is not lawful to comply with that. We may need to do so prudently, carefully. Uh, He even describes a scenario that we would refer to today as underground. We go underground in our worship. Uh, but what uh, we realized, and it was, it was kind of phenomenal, kind of interesting, we did not deliberately plan this, but our conduct at this, per time, at this time followed the model that Baxter described. When we thought there might be a terrific, colossal, Uh, death-inducing health crisis, we complied. Mm -hmm. As I pointed out, uh, it was followed by a tremendous amount of creative activity, Ranger Joe, uh, and a number of other acts were going on. Only God knows the full extent. Um, When it became apparent due to the treatment in the courts, the casinos being allowed to open at half capacity, while churches in Nevada were being limited to, I think, 25 people. Uh, There's something else going on here. At that point in time, we took the position, it is time to allow our people to resume worship. And in many ways, and I've said this before, I'm not the only one. I think Chris points this out in the movie. In many ways, the return to church was grassroots driven by the people at Grace Church and the people at many churches in Southern California, some of whom would drive for hours to be with us, knew it was time to return to church. Yeah. Great question. Over here. Microphone, Mike coming. Please. It's coming by fast freight here. <laughs> it's like Flash. Hello. 
Um, okay, so how do I put this question? Uh, how does a Christian move about standing up for a certain something that everybody was mandated to get or um, and their <laughs> and, vaccine uh, yeah. their uh, well, my very good friend, one of my best friends died from it. Um, she was allergic to it, apparently uh, got um, developed uh, uh, where you get a lot of seizures, uh, epilepsy, and it took her life. And so now, me and some of her friends um, are really distraught about it because she did talk to us about it. There was she had hives on the arm that she got it. You know, it was definitely that. And but how do you go about like fighting for that justice? You know, maybe making like a law where it's like okay, what, uh, maybe if we are all required to take something like that, maybe there needs to be testing. Um, you know, uh, can we? Are we allergic to it? You know, uh, the ingredients in it. Like maybe we need to know all the ingredients in it or something. How does a Christian go about that without? Um, like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, uh, everyone gets so angry about it, right? Like, everyone gets so like, oh, no, you can't say that. But it's like, but but it's true. That's what happened. So how how does a Christian like go about that? Okay, Proverbs tells me it's shame and folly to try an answer without first knowing the question. <laughs> Are you talking about how would we uh, oppose the? program by which vaccines were implemented um or something else it's like yeah it's more like like how does how do how does one or how does a christian like go about um fighting for that for the justice of it the justice of like bringing uh those bringing that particular um who created it like uh them to responsibility of it like, how, how do we do that? I mean, it's, it's so hard. Everybody's so, like, specific. Oh, don't say that. Blah, okay. Blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. Instead of getting caught up in uh, verbal hysteria, mm-hmm. for want of a better term, how do we practically, effectively speak to wisdom in the implementation? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. John? Tom? Yeah. Um, let, let me see if I can take a stab at that. Um, uh, you, you've got to understand at this particular point, what was required of us as a church was not that. They were not requiring us to check vaccination records for people to come here in order to worship. All right, that wasn't. Even though that probably wouldn't have been far off, uh, given some of the people in political. But that, that was not what they were requiring of us. But this becomes what you're asking about a personal uh, conscience issue uh, for you. And um, I totally understand your concerns about some of these vaccines because I share the same ones. I share the same concerns that you do. Um, uh, probably, but I, even though I haven't talked with you about them. But, um, I, but this is a personal conscience issue, I think, at this particular point. And we've got to be careful labeling people as bad, whether you fall on one side or the other. On this issue, whether you've had the vaccine, you haven't had the vaccine. And this is what George was talking about earlier in terms of the unity of the body of Christ on this. And, and George shared with us, uh, as we were talking about this this week and texting back and forth about it, 
the Johannesburg statement that was written, actually written by uh, Tim Cantrell and hit the elders of their church there in Johannesburg, South Africa. And it's probably one of the best statements uh, of handling the COVID crisis there in South Africa. And, and some of the lockdowns and stuff were um, uh, just as bad, if not more so, there in South Africa than it was here. But um, one of the things that they walk, they talk about in here where it says, um, Scripture recognizes uh, or requires us to believe the best about another person's motives, tre- treating others um, the way that we'd, we would want to be treated. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore, and then they get real practical about it, when you see your brother or sister at church wearing a mask, they use the illustration of mask, uh, you should assume that they are doing this for the sake of conscience before the Lord and out of Christian love, Romans chapter 14, perhaps out of medical or legal concerns for themselves or others or for another good or godly reason. And then they go on and say, when you see a brother or sister not wearing a mask, you should assume they are doing this uh, for the sake of conscience before the Lord and out of Christian love, perhaps out of personal or uh, medical concerns or other good and godly reasons. And I think the vaccine, to the most part, runs in that same area. Mm-hmm. We've got to assume uh, the person is going to do it uh, in terms of their conscience and what they do. And I know we have friends. I have a pastor friend that his wife firmly believes the reason he died was he got died very prematurely because he got the vaccine. Um, you know, it, it's hard. It's very, very difficult, difficult to prove. But I know what, what you're speaking of there. But this comes down to a, a, a personal conscience issue. This is not necessarily at this particular point, at least what we went through initially was not a church thing as much as a personal thing. And to add to that, because I think you had another element of your question. On one side, you have to trust the Lord with your health and have the vaccine if that's your conscience, or you trust the Lord with your job and you don't take the vaccine or because and then you you might have to find different kind of work. So either way, it's a trusting the Lord with either, again, your body or your future, you know what I'm saying, or in both your vocation. But I think you were being specific, saying if your friend died and you might have some righteous indignation about that. And uh, the question is, what do we do about that to prevent other people from going there? And, you know, all you can really do is first by your own example, you know, this is what I'm, ch- I'm choosing to do. Um, I don't know, you know, as believers, believers are not immune to, I say this with hesitation, but lawsuits because uh, we're not to sue other believers. We don't do that, First Corinthians 6. However, uh, if something has unrighteously been done, you are in your right as a citizen of the United States to be able to pursue that. That's a class action suit. There's all kinds of things. Now, that takes a lot of energy and a lot of time. But, you know, there is righteous protest. We're Protestants, and therefore we do protest. But, again, you have to balance that, I think. So on one side, you've got righteous indignation. What do I do? But on the other side is the person, what John's talking about, too, is my personal convictions before the Lord. What do I do in my own life? And again, I think that's what the elders kind of decided. We're going to either, you're either going to be trusting the Lord, like I said, with your own health and your own body. I'm not going to take that. If I die, I die. But my conscience is stricken that I think the government is uh, 
forcing this upon me. I think it's unrighteous. It hasn't been tested. I, I'm not going to do that. Or uh, you do take it, bless you, you do take it, and uh, you trust the Lord with your health because if I don't take this, I lose my pension and I, I get fired from my job. So it's an individual case-by-case situation. But either way, the common thread is trusting the Lord. In it. Yes. Uh, Romans 14 talks about things indifferent, okay? Some believers felt they needed to be wearing a mask. A relative of mine uh, singing in a church choir was wearing that mask when her employer required her to do so. She had a good reason under that. Uh, We tried, and if it ever comes about again, we will try to do the same thing, to be as accommodating as possible, knowing that different people have different health situations. We made masks available. If you wanted to wear a mask, we made meeting outside available. That tent was up for what? The better part of almost a year? Um, And we will continue to try to make that available. Jeremiah Burroughs, and he's talking about things indifferent, things that are not clearly defined in Scripture. He's uh, the Puritan that wrote uh, Gospel of Fear and the Rare Jewel of uh, Christian Contentment. He He had this on his door, difference of belief and unity of believers are not inconsistent. In other words, we allow a certain amount of grace and latitude with each other The common thread, again, whether you choose to be immunized, whether you choose not to, you trust God. Now, another thing that can practically be done, uh, you can send in a letter of protest to the uh, Food and Drug Administration. You can write to your senator, uh, your congressman. There are things that can be done to make your voice known. It is now uh, 1240. Do we have time for one more question? We'll take one more. One more question. Right back. All right there. Um, I just had, if you could further explain, you know, the the issue between unity and making a decision against the government. I I mean, because one kind of, I mean, you you try, I mean, you explained it very well, but maybe give an example. where, because ultimately, to to maintain unity, is, is oftentimes is near impossible. And I think it even was on the elder board. I mean, even though that was what we sought to do, but some stepped down or that type of thing. So I wasn't sure if that's exactly what you were referring to. But if you could just explain that a little more, I was a little. Confused. We pray, we seek the unity of the spirit. All of our decisions are to be in unanimity under our bylaws. We realize that sometimes guys need to be patient with each other and even take time to reach that point. Uh, But again, there has to be always a certain amount of grace. I don't know how much more uh, detail that can be in providing an explanation. You're referring to transgenderism and transhumanism, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, we'll take anybody who wants to come here, uh, and we'll teach them the Word of God. <laughs> yeah. We're thinking that through. We literally saw a similar situation maybe five years ago. There was a family here. They've routinely for years uh, taken in foster children. Uh, One of the children they had taken in was of Native American ethnic heritage. And they were being required to turn that child over. Uh, We... And we were not the only church that tried to provide encouragement. The church did try to provide that. We've seen that as a possible foretaste of maybe things to come. Uh, and we will be pondering the issue. Yeah. So Tom? pray for decision-making. Cheryl Ann, you got that hand that went up. Yes, real quick, because you're really the last quick. of the last. Shelly really? Ann. I said Shelly. <laughs> really quickly, you said... What are we hearing? Like, what are family acts? And people are saying who are not from California, family members, they're looking at grace because what's next? What is grace doing? What is next? And that's what they want to know because they want to take it back to their church. How can we follow suit? How can we be in prayer? How can we come alongside in unity? Because with everything that happened with COVID, the LBGQ agenda, all those things that we see in our world today, I said, our church doesn't fight politics. We stand on the word of God, and we will continue to do what God's word says. But they're looking on the outside. What's next? Because they're seeing with the children that Pastor John spoke about today. So what can we share with them in terms of leaders of the churches that are not so close to what's happening in California, but are seeing all these things, you know, that's going on. They're looking now, because once we opened the door, we stood, not because we were the big guys on the block, Hmm. but because we trust in God, and we rely on his word. And so now they're looking, what's next? One thing would be, honestly, this sounds so simplistic, and that is uh, go live stream, watch our services. Everything that people know or really talk about happens from what we see every Sunday here. You want to know what's going on at Grace Church? Tune in. Both Sunday morning, Sunday evening, it's free. Go to live stream and you hear Pastor John share his heart. Uh, if you want to go to our elder meetings, which are open on the, uh, is it the second Thursday of every month? It's usually the third. Third Sunday, uh, third Thursday, excuse me, of every month. Uh, it's open to everybody. Uh, the open session is. So come, hear what's on our pastor's heart, hear things, and then report back to your friends, I guess you can say. But we're also dealing, I know right now with, you know, you, if you've noticed, you've seen more, more masks on the street lately. You've seen them in the grocery stores. You're going like, what is going on? What, what, what is happening? Oh, no. Not again. And oh, yes, again. And so they found a little niche that they could grab, and they're going to try to grab it again. But we don't care. We already know what we're going to do. Like you said, we're going to stay open. We're going to worship. Um, So anyway, I think But the best way to keep up with Grace Church is just 
Get them connect to the Grace Church Connection every week. Read the bulletin online. Watch, uh, you know, online. Uh, don't pay attention to everybody else. Just pay attention to what we're saying. Don't don't pay attention to what other people say about us. Pay attention to what we're saying about us. <laughs> you have almost as much as I do, so just trust me. All right, would you pray for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gracious Father, Father, as we come before you today, we realize that we are imperfect people, but we serve a God who is very perfect, and we serve a God who has provided us uh, a inerrant, um, all-sufficient and superior word of God to make judgments like this in the world in which we live, because this is not the end. We realize that um, the essential church and what has happened here is in our own church is just the beginning. There's probably much more um, wickedness and evil that's coming down the pike. And Father, as we seek to make good judgments about our church, about our personal lives, we cry out to you for wisdom. Help us to keep our minds um, glued to the truth of the Word of God in order to make the right kind of judgments. And uh, Father, we would pray as we have so many times before as elders that you would protect our flock as much as, as uh, you see is best, you protect each one of them through what they face and the challenges they face in the work, wicked world in which we live. And uh, preserve your church, uh, Father, as you have promised to do. This we pray in the precious and glorious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.